Brother Glenn, thank you for the privilege to come back. And uh, I love Hillcrest, love to come to this church. Take your Bibles today and go to the book of Acts with me to a very familiar passage, Acts chapter 16. And I just want to encourage you today uh, before I step away, the great story of Paul and Silas. And I'm preaching on this subject, what happens when we praise God? What happens when we praise God? Let's stand for the reading of the Word of God. Would you do that, everybody standing? You know this great story. Pray God will speak to your heart as we look at it. Acts 16, verse 23. When they laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, he drew out a sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. Brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. I'm preaching on this subject, what happens when we praise God? What happens when we praise God? May God bless the reading of his book. Please be seated and pray with me. Father, I'm so grateful for what you're doing in this conference. God, thank you for last night. God, thank you for those precious souls that were saved. God, thank you for moving in our church. God, thank you, Lord, for the spirit of revival. And now, God, I need your divine touch to preach this message. I ask for your unction, your anointing. So, God, I pray that you would loose me and let me go. God, I pray now that our enemy could not disrupt or divide or disturb this place. God, you do the preaching. And I promise God will give you and only you the glory for what you and only you can do. We pray this prayer believing in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Psalm 150 verse 6 says, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. I still love that great old story of the preacher that pastored a church way out west, and he wanted to buy him a horse. One day he drove by a ranch, and he saw a sign that said, Horses for sale. So he went in, he said, I'd like to see your best horse the rancher took him in and said, I've got a beautiful Arabian stallion. He got on the horse. He began to ride him or try to ride him. The preacher sitting on top of the horse said, giddy up. The man said to him, oh, you don't understand. This is a Christian horse. He don't respond to giddy up. You need to say, praise the Lord. And so he said, praise the Lord. And that horse began to trot. And then he got ready to get off. He said, whoa. And the horse wouldn't stop. And he said, remember, preacher, he's a Christian horse. You got to say, Hallelujah. He stops to hallelujah. That preacher got so worked up, he said, I want a spiritual horse like that. So he bought him, couldn't wait to take him out on the open range. Got him out there that day, and that preacher sitting proudly on top of that horse said, praise the Lord. That horse began to trot, then he began to run. But a diamondback rattlesnake crossed in the path of that horse, and he bolted and ran, began to gallop. 
And that preacher was holding on for dear life, panicking. He forgot the stop word, couldn't remember it at all. And the prairie was coming to an end. They were headed for a cliff that dropped into a canyon for 200 feet. He was hanging on for dear life saying, you crazy horse, you dumb horse, you retarded horse, stop, stop, stop. And finally at the last minute, the word came to him and he said, hallelujah. That horse skidded to a stop inches from the edge of that cliff. That preacher lifted both hands and said, praise the Lord. (laughs) Son, I'm going to tell you, something exciting happened when that preacher praised the Lord, didn't it? Well, I want you to know that's just a silly little joke, but I'm not joking when I tell you something exciting happens when we praise the Lord. When a blood-bought saint opens their heart and opens their mouth and begins to praise the Lord, something wonderful happens. Son, it may not make a horse run, but it'll make the devil run. And when more than one believer gets together in a worship service and we lift our hearts and begin to praise the Lord, things happen. Congregations turn into celebrations. Religious meetings turn into revival meetings. And even a jailhouse can turn into a church house. That's exactly what happened with Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas are in prison praising the Lord. Now, you know where we are, but just let me bring you up to speed real fast. Paul and Silas had come to Philippi to preach a revival meeting. And the Holy Ghost fell. God began to work. The church was stirred up. Folks started getting saved. And then Paul and Silas crossed the line with the devil because there was a young girl who told fortunes and made money by telling her, by, made money to her bosses by telling those fortunes. Paul got tired of her following him around, so he just cast the devil out of her, led her to Christ. She got saved. And when the devil was gone, the money was gone, and those guys got mad. So they stirred up a crowd, and the mob beat Paul and Silas. And when we pick it up in Acts 16, you know where we are. They'd been beaten up. They'd been tied up. They'd been locked up. And the Bible said in the middle of it all, they praised the Lord. Now that's a story for every believer. They didn't bellyache. They believed. They didn't complain. They celebrated. And the Bible said in miraculous power in verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. That word shaken means to agitate means to disturb, means to rock. Let's go ahead and say it. God rocked the house. That's exactly what happened. When those men began to praise God, God rocked the house. Now, folks, I've now had the privilege to be in hundreds and hundreds of Baptist churches. And I just won't tell y'all, there ain't a whole lot of shaking going on. Y'all understand? I mean, it's time to shake the house. And we need to praise the Lord. Three things happen when we praise the Lord. Three things I want to give you right in this text just to encourage you on this Friday morning. Three things when we praise the Lord. Number one, when we praise the Lord, we unload our problems. I need to say that one more time. When we praise the Lord, we unload our problems. This is good now. Look at verse 23. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison. That little phrase there, many stripes, literally means to wound. The Bible said they were wounded. I'd say Paul and Silas were having a bad day, wouldn't you? Anybody here have a bad day recently? 
You ought to be a traveling evangelist. Well, we evangelists call it living the dream. I, I know some of you pastors think that uh, we evangelists have it easy. Brother Harold, that's not true, is it? I mean, uh, folks, it's tough to travel. Y'all know what happened to me in November? You talk about a bad day. I, I was on my way to Richmond, Virginia, and, and I was on the aisle seat of the airplane, and it was one of those things where, you know, we were trying to hurriedly catch a plane. We'd had a delay going into Atlanta. I get sick of going into Atlanta. We had a delay going into Atlanta, and everybody stood up, and this woman opened her compartment, and her carry-on bag fell on my shoulder, and it really hurt. And I'm trying to be nice about it, bless her heart. She couldn't help it. So I stood up and banged the top of my head on that overhead compartment. And that's bone on bone, y'all understand? And so, man, I got a hurt shoulder, got a hurt head. And then I reached up to grab my bag, true story, and I tore my hand open. And I'm bleeding. Blood's running down my arm. So I'm trying to get to where I got to go for the next plane. And I'm bleeding, and I stopped to get a Band-Aid. Little lady behind the counter said, Sir, you're bleeding. I said, Yes, ma'am. That's why I, I thought this must be a first-year medical student or something, and that's why I need a Band-Aid. And then finally I realized the next plane had been canceled, and so I suddenly had plenty of time. I've got a hurt head, a hurt hand, a, a hurt shoulder. So I sat down to dial up where I was supposed to go trying to get a faster flight on my Delta app on my dumb smartphone. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I, can I stop for a second? I hate passwords. I, I hate them, buddy. I, I want you to know, we got passwords for our security alarm at home, password for our security alarm at the office, password for my computer, password for my cell phone. And here's the strange thing. I never can remember them. And it really, it's sad, really. I can remember, I can memorize 10 sermons, but I can't remember a password. I can tell you who won all 51 Super Bowls, but I can't remember a password. I can tell you who won the 1955 World Series, but I can't remember a password. And I'm trying to remember my password. I've already had a bad day, and I'm sitting down on that dumb app on that dumb phone, pretty stressed I was, and I'm trying to remember the password. So I decided to ask that lady, you know, the lady on the phone. I decided to ask her, and here's what she said. I didn't quite get that. And so I asked her again, and she really said this, if you don't know, I can't tell you. And that really made me mad. And when it did, I kind of slammed my phone down. And she said, I'm not sure what you said. And I said, shut up. That's what I said. <laughs> I was having a bad day. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about just junk, man. I'm talking about just junk. Hey, you know when there's junk, there's a password you can go to. It's never invalid. There's a password you can go to that always unlocks the key. There's a password you can go to that'll relieve your day. You know what it's called? P-R-A-I-S-E. For when you open your mouth and praise the Lord, amazing things happen. God steps into your situation. When you praise the Lord, you get the focus off you and get the focus on him. I'm telling you the truth, child of God. We can unload our problems when we praise the Lord. When we praise the Lord, we somehow forget about ourselves. But there's two things you must remember when problems are on top of you when it comes to praising the Lord. Number one, you need to praise the Lord when you don't feel like it. I need to say that one more time. 
You need to praise the Lord when you don't feel like it. Look what the Bible says. This gets good now. The Bible says in verse 24, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison. Now, we have nothing like the inner prison. We're told by archaeologists the inner prison was such a vile place. It's not death row. It's death. It's where folks went to die. The Romans put people in the inner prison to kill them. The inner prison, archaeologists tell us, was nothing more than an underground hole. That's all it was. Had no light, had no window, had no ventilation, had no bathroom. It was an overcrowded hole that was full of mud, filth, rats, bugs, human waste, and vomit. That's exactly where Paul and Silas are. Their day's getting worse. Then look what the Bible says. They were in the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Now that word stocks means wood timbers. And here's what it was. They were two heavy timbers that had holes stretched far apart so the legs could be stretched far apart. And they would put the prisoner down on the seat and they would put their legs in the two holes until they were in a split position. Then they would tie the timbers with ropes or with cords or with chains. So bear in mind the prisoner sitting upright now, as far as his back is concerned, sitting down and the legs are spread until excruciating cramps would go up and down the back and up and down the legs. I'm saying Paul and Silas are having a bad day. They're in the inner prison. The Bible said their feet are fast in the stocks. Now church, let's be real honest. At that moment, you don't feel like praising the Lord. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, come on, son. See, whenever trouble comes rushing your way, let's be honest, we don't feel like praising. We feel like griping and pouting and crying and screaming and questioning. But I want you to hear this statement. Worship and praise is not based on how you feel. I need to say that one more time. Worship and praise is not based on how you feel. My daughter Jessica, my middle child, my youngest daughter, uh, has been a cheerleader her whole life. She was a cheerleader in high school, middle school and high school. She was a cheerleader in college. Then she became a cheerleading coach in college. Now she's the head cheerleading coach at a school in St. Augustine, Florida. And she's been very successful. Two years ago, her cheerleaders won the Class 1A State Florida High School Cheerleading Championship. This year, they were runners-up. But it was different when she was in high school because in high school, her teams, her football team she cheered for were terrible. And I don't mean bad boys, I mean terrible. They lost games by scores of 75 to 6 and 91 to nothing. I'm not making that up. 91 to stinking nothing. I was there that night, good daddy watching his daughter cheer. 91 to nothing. Let that sink in for a minute. But I'll, you know what I won't forget about that game, that 91 to nothing game? I won't forget, Erica, my daughter down there on the sidelines. I mean, she must have been a sophomore, I guess. I want you to know the grin never left that girl's face. It's 80-something to nothing in the third quarter, and she's got those pom-poms trying to get everybody on their feet. And folks, the only reason folks were getting on their feet at that point was to go to the parking lot. I mean, it's 80-something to nothing. And she's cheering her little heart out like it's the Super Bowl, man. And they're the Super Bowl champs. I'll never forget that night. How I admired my daughter that night. I mean, she never lost her exuberance. She never lost her joy. The mood of the night did not dictate her spirit for her school or her love for her school. I want you to know the team was lousy. 
The situation was hopeless and the game was lost. But my daughter kept cheering with everything she's got. Now, folks, it's not like that for a blood-bought believer. For our great God is the undefeated Lord of lords and he is never going to lose. And we praise him, not based on how we feel. We praise him because he is in control. We praise him because he is on the throne. We praise him because though the situation is bleak, for us, there's never been an emergency business meeting held by the Holy Trinity. God's never wrung his hands wondering what he's going to do. And so we praise him. It's a matter of the will. We choose to praise him. And so we praise him not based on how we feel. I got another principle. Don't miss this. You need this one. We praise him not just when we don't feel like it. We praise him when we can't figure it out. It's good now. Look at verse number 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. You know what the Greek word for midnight is? Middle of the night. <laughs> the Greek word there, middle of the night, well, it's the middle of the night. Well, literally, that's the darkest part of the night. The middle of the night, the darkest part. But see, when we talk about the midnight hour, pastors, the, the midnight hour uh, always refers to darkness. The midnight hour always refers to difficulty. The midnight hour always refers to discouragement. The Bible teaches Paul and Silas now are at the midnight hour. Now, I want you to get a mental picture. Uh, we're talking about trouble. We're talking about not being able to figure it out. These guys have sacrificed for the Lord. These guys have preached for the Lord. They've given themselves to the Lord. And what did it get them? They have been mobbed. And they have been beaten. And now, with open wounds, they have been put in a cold, filthy, stinking, overcrowded, rat-infested hole. What a great place to gripe and grumble. What a great place to say, God, I've given so much to you, I can't figure out why this is happening to me. But the Bible said instead, they praise the Lord. Can I go in and remind everybody what you already know? I don't give a rip how good and godly you are. I don't care how much you come to church. I don't care how much you shout amen during preaching. I don't care how much you love gospel music. You could be the most faithful member of the church you attend, but I got a word for you. Sooner or later, something bad's going to happen to you. I mean, that's just the truth. Sooner or later, something bad is going to come rushing into your life. Folks, it's amazing to me. I get, Brother Harold, I get so weary of the prosperity preachers. I get so tired of the joy boys. I get so tired of the televangelists and there are a number of them on television who talk about faith in terms of getting what you want. Real faith is not getting what you want from God. Real faith is accepting what God has given you and praising him just the same. That's what real faith is. Sometimes you'll hear some, uh, some saint who's got terminal cancer. Somebody will say, do you have faith to be healed? That's not the big question. The big question is, you have faith not to be healed and still praise the Lord. For you see, real faith is not escaping trouble. Real faith is demonstrated when you endure trouble because the truth is, sometimes God will divert us from trouble, but sometimes God will direct us to trouble so he can deliver us through trouble. I believe I'll run that by you again. Sometimes God will divert us from trouble, but sometimes he'll direct us to trouble so he can deliver us through the trouble. Remember old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I got a question for you. Was the fourth man with them before they went in the fire? Absolutely. If he hadn't been, they wouldn't have gone in the fire. 
but they didn't see the fourth man in the fire until they were in the fire. And sometimes we go into the fire because we see Jesus in the fire. Sometimes God will take us into the fire because Jesus is there, even when we can't figure it out. Even, Pastor, when you think the whole church is against you, even when you think you're pouring out your life and ministry and all hell's breaking loose in your life, we still praise him. Started 2017, uh, and everybody's gone through this, but our family hadn't. I mentioned last night the departing of my dear father, who, 86 years old, and I'd never lost a father. Many of you have. I never had. We'd never, our family had never gone through that. My dad's always been there, and my dad's the greatest man I've ever known. Simple Baptist preacher. My privilege to preach is homegoing service. So we've never gone through that. But through daddy's illness, I've watched the breakdown physically of mama. And so preacher, we started uh, 2017 that way and our family gathered together for daddy's homegoing service. And I remember walking in that day and and we've all attended funerals, uh, funerals of our loved ones that, you know, you just kind of want to get through it. And I'm walking in that day and mama's holding my arm, sat with her for a little while before I got up to, to preach. And that frail lady just... Married 67 years and she's just kind of in a fog and my sisters are crying on both sides of me and I'm looking at daddy's casket and you know it's a depressing thing. And, but you know what happened that morning? All of a sudden the fellow we had leading worship, we wanted it to be a worship service, got up and right there in front of that casket and right there with my crying family around me and my dear frail mother, that old boy began to sing and we began to sing this song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I'm an heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. And this is my story. It's not somebody else's hallelujah. It's my story. This is my song. And you know, I just began to weep and God invaded that place just by praising the Lord in the darkest of hours. When we praise the Lord, aren't you glad he shows up? Hallelujah. Son, I'm telling you, he is faithful. And there may be somebody here today right now that don't feel like praising. You're in the inner prison. Maybe there's somebody who can't figure it out. Can I tell you, praise the Lord. Because when we praise the Lord, it unloads our problems. I'm not finished. There's a second principle here. Don't miss this. When we praise the Lord, it unloads our problems. But when we praise the Lord, we unleash his power. I need to say that again. We unleash his power. Gets good now. Go back to that 25th verse. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. I was preaching a revival in South Carolina. And a dear woman slipped up to me one night. I was by the water cooler before the service. And I got a sip of water. And she was, I think she was in her 80s. Well, I don't think she, she told me she was in her 80s. Dear woman looked at me and she smiled and said, Brother Rick, I just want you to know I'm on the security team. And I said, well, God bless you. She said, I am. And then she hit her purse and said, I'm packing. <laughs> she said, you'll be all right. We're watching this place. Everything's all right. I thought, wow, I'm being guarded by the great-great-grandmother of wider man. I mean, she's packing, buddy, packing heat. And I don't want to know who's packing here this morning, okay? I believe there's probably some folks in the house packing. The pastor's probably packing, man. I mean, everybody's probably packing. I'm in churches, Brother Harold, all the time where people are packing, man. But can I tell you something? If you're a blood-bought child of God, every one of us are packing. 
If you're a blood-bought child of God, every believer brought a weapon into this place today. And I don't just mean the weapon that's the sword. I don't just mean your Bible. Do you understand, Paul and Silas, the weapons they use in the midst of that dungeon? Do you understand, ladies and gentlemen, that they're in a maximum security prison being guarded by an armed guard? And the Bible said that they used two weapons to attack, two weapons to assault. Those two weapons, they didn't use a sword to fight their way out or a gun to shoot their way out or a bomb to blast their way out. They used the two supernatural weapons of prayer and praise. I mean, we need to understand those are weapons because when we praise him, the Bible teaches his power is unleashed. And this is good. Somebody needs this. What happens when his power is unleashed? When his power is unleashed, first of all, heaven is attracted. Look what the Bible says carefully in one more time, verse 25. They prayed and sang praises. Do you know what that word praises means? Are you listening? It means to give enthusiastic approval and recognition. I need to say that one more time. To give enthusiastic approval and recognition. First week of January, the second week of January, I was driving somewhere and I passed a pickup truck, white pickup truck. I noticed the pickup truck at first because of the sign on the back, big old magnet sign said Clemson. This is about two days after the big game. Huge orange letters, it said Clemson. Had two orange flags with tiger paws flying. Had a tiger paw on the back. That truck was decorated. And when I got up beside this big old boy, huge man, had an orange hat on, Clemson, driving that truck with a big old smile on his face. Son, I'm telling you, that old boy was happy. You know what he was doing? He was giving approval and recognition to the team that he loved. And I began to think about that game, and I don't want to bring an unpleasant memory to an Alabama fan, uh, but, but because I was pulling for Alabama that night. Uh, but but, but I, I, you remember that game? If you thought, oh, yeah, it tore your heart out. Clemson scored with one second to play. One second. They won the football game with one second. And preacher, I begin, because I preach all over the deep south, and I know what it's like during football season. Oh, come on, son. I mean, there are some folks that worship on Sunday directly affected by how their team did on Saturday afternoon. And don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. It's an amazing thing, this football thing, because I enjoy football, but, but you know what happens during a football game? Here you are, here you are on the couch. Here you are, sir, sitting on the couch. And all of us have lived for when that big game, when our team won or lost in the last second. And you know what happens. You're sitting there nervously on the couch. Your stomach is queasy. Your heart's jumping up and down. Here's what you're thinking as we're driving for the winning touchdown. Don't fumble the ball. Don't fumble the ball. I hope the dumb referee don't throw a dumb flag. I, I hope that this don't happen and that don't happen. And all of a sudden on the edge of that couch, you're sitting with bated breath. And then all of a sudden in the last second, like Clemson did, your team scores the game winning touchdown. You know what happens? Do you know what grown men do? I'm talking about grown men. I'm talking about tough men. There's all kind of muscle memory involved in this. It's just an involuntary response. Because when that team scores the big touchdown, all of a sudden, muscles go into effect just by memory. The seat comes up off the seat. Automatically, the arms go extended straight up in the sky. All of a sudden, the jaws loosen up and unintelligible noises begin to come out, howls and screams. And then they high-five and hug people they don't even like. And all of a sudden, everybody's worked up. And you know what? I'm not picking on anybody. 
But some of those same men who are professing Christians can walk into the church on Sunday morning and those same guys will sit with a scowl on their face and their arms folded like some bump on a log and Steve, they'll never open their mouths to sing and it just amazes me. And I'm not being silly this morning. It amazes me because there's no comparison. Do you understand? We're not sitting on the edge of our seat waiting to see who's going to win the battle of the ages. It's already won, man. This isn't about our school. This is about our soul. This is about 2,000 years ago, the king of glory taking the keys of death, hell, and the grave and walking out of that tomb alive and well. And we don't celebrate him yesterday. We celebrate him today. How in the world can we come to church and be quiet? How in the world can we come to church and be dead? How in the world can we come to church and not rejoice? How in the world can we come to church and not welcome his presence because the good news is this when we praise him it attracts heaven and God shows up man God's in the house I'm in a lot of churches where God's not in the house do you understand that praise welcomes the presence of God when we gather today and praise him even on a sleepy Friday morning God we welcome you into the house praise attracts him I tell you what doesn't attract him shows don't attract him Performances don't attract him. Flesh doesn't attract him. Those who are trying to get up and put on a performance, trying to please people, do not attract him. I'll never forget, I only pastored two churches. And the last church I pastored, one of our deacons had put a little sign on the pulpit, Brother Glenn, and the only one that could see it was the person standing behind that pulpit. And every Sunday morning, I opened my Bible, there it said, Remember, they came to see Jesus. What a word. I never forgot that. Preachers, we all ought to write that in our Bible. Before we get up to preach, remember they came to see Jesus. Singer, every time you take a microphone in your hand, you ought to think, remember they didn't come to see me, they came to see Jesus. You might have a beautiful voice, but God gave you that voice. You might be able to sing the stars down, but it's because God has gifted you. And when we open our mouth and praise him, he's the one that comes into the house. Praise attracts. Praise attracts heaven. But I don't think something else. It releases the power of God not only because it attracts heaven. Praise attacks hell. I need to say that one more time. Praise attacks hell. For look what the Bible says in verse 26 for the last time. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open. Everyone's bands were loose. Notice that word shaken. I've already said that means to rock. As one preacher has already said, it was a jailhouse rock. That's what it was. But the jailhouse came into a church house when God rocked the place. Can I tell you who was shaken? Not only was the foundations of the prison shaken, not only were the guards shaken, not only were the prisoners shaken, the devil was shaken. So the devil instigated this whole thing. And when these men began to praise God at the midnight hour, the devil was shaken. Now I've already told you praise is a weapon. My wife Judy and I in our Florida home have a swimming pool. And something happened in that swimming pool last year. Never, we've had it 10 years Last year, long about springtime, two ducks came to our swimming pool every day. And at first it was cute. When they first came, my granddaughters were at the house. They thought, oh, there's two ducks swimming in the pool. But I, I'm going to be real delicate about this. It got ugly real fast. <laughs> Those ducks came by every day for a couple of weeks to drink our water, to swim in our pool, and to use it as a public restroom. 
and there's no way for me to describe how hideous it was. I can't imagine two creatures making such a mess. But from one end of our pool to the other, it was just gross. The patio was gross. And I'll wake you up this morning. It was green. or It was green. It was green gross. Everybody understand? It was hideous. And I got mad. So I began to research and found out it was mating season. And they probably had a nest close by. Found out it's illegal. It's a federal offense to kill a duck during mating season. <laughs> that wouldn't stop some of you, would it? I guarantee you that. <laughs> and so I began to research on the internet how to get rid of them ducks. It was really hilarious. Because I found out it's a common problem to a lot of folk. And here's what we did. Somebody said, you get one of those rafts that look like an alligator. Blow it up and put it in the pool. We did. They swam on the raft. I mean, it was like it was a resort, man. One day there were three ducks. They were inviting their friends to come to the resort. And then it really got silly, Brother Glenn. It got ridiculous. I, I, I got two 100-foot extension cords, bright orange cords, and plugged them together, and I zigzagged those cords back and forth across the pool. That's ridiculous. From tying them to pool furniture all the way across. It was strange. Just trying to keep them ducks out of the pool, but every afternoon they landed, and they would land right in between those ropes, they were having a big time. And then the last thing we did, my son's idea, was to get some mesh, some fruit tree mesh stuff, you know, a cloth, and cover the pool. We couldn't swim in it. The ducks had taken over. So covered almost the whole pool, left this much at one end, this much at the other. They swam at those two ends. And it just got frustrating to me. So here's what I finally did. After all that frustration, here's what I decided to do. This will preach right here. I, I got the pool net. Wasn't going to hit them with it got the pool net, and I sat down in the dark part of the patio because they came late in the afternoon. And I was home. It was like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I sat there holding that net, and I watched them. And here they came. They landed, same flat path every day. They landed, walked through the fence, the bars of the fence, waddled across the yard, got ready to go in the pool. And when they did, when they got right near the pool, i tell you what I did. I took that net and swung it like this and went, ah, and I went running across that yard at them ducks and boy, they took off and they didn't come back that day. And the next day they landed and I went running ah, with that thing and chasing them. The third day they landed and I did it again, boys, three days in a row. And I swung that thing, chasing them, screaming like a madman. Matter of fact, my neighbor asked my wife one day, is Rick okay? Is something wrong with him? And he thought so, because he heard me screaming every day. Did you know after three days of screaming, they never came back? They never did. And don't you dare sit there and say mating season was over. No, it wasn't either. It wasn't over. They never came back. And then it suddenly hit me what happened. Son, I believe I chased those dudes out of the yard. I don't know what will happen this May. I'm ready for them this May. But I'm telling you, I chased them out of the yard. You know what I finally decided to do? I finally decided, instead of just sitting there and taking it, I finally decided to open my mouth and run the enemy out of my yard by declaring whose yard it belonged to. Now, son, can I just give you a word? When the enemy drops his bombs on you, don't just sit there and take it, bless God. Stand up, open your mouth, and declare that you are a blood-bought child of the king and that the king lives inside of you. Don't you read 2 Chronicles 20? 
Don't you remember what happened when all those masked armies gathered against Judah? Don't you remember old King Jehoshaphat? He didn't get a bunch of soldiers. He got a bunch of singers. And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 20, verses 21 and 22, they went out on the battlefield and sung and they sung, praise ye the Lord, for his mercy endures forever and ever. Judah sang their way to victory. And they didn't sing about having victory. They sang that the enemy was already conquered. So when we praise the Lord, it not only strengthens the people of God, it not only summons the presence of God, but it silences the enemies of God. Can I tell you what happens when we praise? We unload our problems. Can I tell you what happens when we praise? We unleash his power. And everybody knows the third one. You know what happens when we praise? We unlock hell's prisons. Unlock hell's prisons. It's right there, man. Last part of verse 26, and I'm done. The Bible said the doors were opened. Everybody say open. Open. And everyone's bands were loosed. There was liberty. You know, we're told the United States of America has the largest prison population in the world. 25% of the entire prison population of the planet is in America. Do you understand that? Do you understand that city, county, federal, and state prisons, one out of every 110 adult Americans are incarcerated? I need to say that one more time. One out of every 110. We've got more prisoners in America than China and India combined. And they've got 2.3 billion people more than we do. We've got more prisons in America than we've got colleges and universities. I just say that one more time. We got more prisons than we've got colleges and universities. But you better hear what I'm fixing to say. You don't have to be behind bars to be in prison. Not everybody that is in prison today has prison issue clothes. Not everybody in prison today is behind metal bars. There are some people in prison. Some people here this morning may be in prison. And you know what happens when we praise him? It unlocks hell's doors, unlocks the prisons of Satan releases the slaves and the captives. We begin to praise him. You ever thought about this passage of scripture? I'm not going to dwell on long. I need to go. You, you, ever, you ever think about this? Folks, the Bible said earlier in the passage, the prisoners heard them. These are pagan men, lost men. When Paul and Silas praised God, the prisoners heard them. Then the Bible said that the jailer himself in the ensuing verses said, what must I do to be saved? That old boy was going to kill himself, man, because he lost his prisoners, he thought. And he would have to suffer the same penalty that they were facing, the death penalty. So he would rather have a private suicide than a public execution. But Paul saw him somehow through the darkness, a miracle of God. And Paul said, we're still here. I want everybody to think about that before I wrap this up. They praised the Lord and lost people heard them. And it impacted their lives. Brother Glenn, I got to think of what would happen in our churches next Sunday if every believer, I'm going to say it again, every believer weren't texting, weren't on their cell phone, weren't thinking about Monday morning, weren't, weren't looking around. You know, we Baptists are good at that, checking everybody out. What if next Sunday morning, everybody in your church who's a believer sincerely and passionately praise the Lord? I'm going to tell you what would happen. The glory of God would come to the house and every lost person there would know that God is in the house when we praise him. Because when we praise him, it unloads our problems. And we praise him, it unleashes his power. We praise him, it unlocks hell's prisons. Back in the 1980s, one of my favorite songs of all time was written, and I still love it. And I'll sing it from time to time when I'm by myself in presence of the Lord. 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. For our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord for the chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you that they drop powerless behind you when you praise him. A woman was leaving her home, an elderly woman, flying from Dallas to New York to see her daughter. During the flight, a storm hit. One of the engines on the plane went out and the plane was in serious trouble. Passengers were screaming. Passengers were crying. Passengers were praying, but not that elderly woman. She sat right there in that aisle seat, clasped her hands in front of her and began to sing this song. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. Life is worth the living just because he lives. The pilot skillfully was able to land that plane, not in the destination of New York, but in another place. And everybody got it together, wiped tears, collected what they had. Few thanked God for anything. They got off the plane. One of the flight attendants grabbed that elderly woman and said, ma'am, I couldn't help but notice when it was all falling apart in here, when everybody was screaming and crying, I noticed you never changed your facial expression. You sang the whole way. Can I ask you why? The woman said, yeah. She said, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. She said, I've got two daughters. She said, one of my daughters has died and gone to heaven. One of my daughters lives in New York. Today I was on my way to see my daughter in New York. When the storm hit, I thought, Today I'm either going to visit my daughter in New York or my daughter in heaven. It doesn't matter which one comes first. Child of God says, we praise you, O Lord, because you're the one that's in control. 